11 through 32. Luke 15 through 11, 32. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your father has come and your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. I had the honor of preaching about this message at my father's funeral on Tuesday. Um, I've been gone for a while, three weeks, and just the way things went, I was coming back on vacation with my family on the 11th when my mom called me, and she said, you better come, I, um, I think uh, uh, it may be time. My father has suffered uh, from Alzheimer's for some time, and it was accelerating, so it wasn't... Uh, a great surprise. Uh, but needless to say, I got on a plane and headed there and uh, had the privilege of spending the last day with my father and mother. Uh, he passed in the night peacefully on the 14th. And so I helped my mom and then came home and grabbed my family and we drove to Oklahoma, a short 20-hour hop in the car where I was privileged to officiate my dad's service, which was quite an honor. And then I drove my family to 
North Carolina and dropped them off. They're down there with uh, my wife's parents and got home last night. The reason I chose this passage to preach on uh, at my dad's funeral was because it's about a son and a father. And uh, for you that have lost a father, um, you may understand. Um, this message is about a son and a father. It's about being lost and it's about being found. And uh, it's never a good thing to apologize in advance of one sermon. But I have no guarantee of my emotional state, nor really what I'm necessarily going to say as the sermon was uh, designed for a different crowd. But the prodigal son resonates with me. Though I think the name of the title is poor, Tim Keller, uh, the name of the parable, really it's about the prodigal father. Prodigal means uh, wasteful, rec reckless, uh, rich. Um, and we see how the son squanders um, the estate, but we see a different recklessness, a different wastefulness on the father. It's interesting that this story is actually three stories. And the first two were read um, when Aaron came and read the scripture. And whenever Jesus tells a parable and he tells three stories in succession, um, he's doing it for a reason. And usually it's the one that's not like the others that gives away what the true message is of what Jesus is trying to communicate. And so I'm going to talk about those three stories. Um, I resonate with this story because I know what it's like to be lost. And I also know what it's like to lose someone. The first point I want to make is that our God is a God who seeks. I remember as a child going to Six Flags over Texas with my father and mother. I was probably six years old. First time at an amusement park. And you know when you're six years old everything looks gigantic. And the sounds and the smells and I was overcome with the excitement of it all. And uh, like any child, I'd look back at my parents and then I'd look around and see all the wonderful things going on. Well, I must have become so enraptured by what was around me that I did not pay heed to my parents. And when I turned to look for them one time, they were gone. And it wasn't that instant that all of my excitement turned to sheer terror. Because my parents were the foundation in my life. In other words, I really had no idea where I was or what was to be of me. But I didn't have to. Because my mom, and especially my dad, knew. My father, for me, was um, a towering figure, a person of strength. I don't know if you remember as a kid, you know, when dad says, get on your back, let's swim to the deep end, which might as well be the Atlantic Ocean for you. But so you get on his back and he swims and you feel the immensity of him and his strength. That picture, I think, is a good picture of my relationship with my father. He was a reassuring presence in my life. His strength and additionally his foreness for me, his belief in me, provided the foundation for my life. 
I don't know your relationship with your father. And certainly, I had my own challenges with my dad. But the one thing that I did know was that he was for me. And he loved me unconditionally. And he would give me the shirt off of his back. And so it really wasn't, in some ways, that much of a jump for me to understand the unconditional love of my eternal father, my heavenly father. It was the gift that my father gave me without really understanding it. Well, I want to talk about these first two passages because we see here that there is a sheep that has become lost. I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but sheep congregate for a reason. They don't have any defense mechanisms, so their defense is togetherness. And so there is a wrongness for a sheep to become lost because sheep by their very nature congregate. And I think for maybe just a little bit I can understand what that sheep was feeling like. Much like I was feeling in Six Flags. Where is my flock? Where is my shepherd? Well, we experience the feeling of the sheep but it apparently tugs at the owner's heart. Because the owner seems to be reckless in how he responds to this lost sheep. Does it not say, suppose one of you having a hundred sheep loses one, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Well, that doesn't make sense in many ways, right? It's just one sheep. You've got 99. I lost my son at Bush Gardens, by the way. It was only for about 30 seconds. But if someone had come to me and said, look, don't worry about it. You have two other sons and a daughter. Cut your losses. You'll be fine. I would have smacked him in the face and then gone to look for my child. There was a wrongness to it. All is not right with the world. And in the heart of this shepherd or shepherdess, excuse me, shepherd. And so what does he do? He leaves. He leaves the 99 in the field. He leaves and he goes. And indeed it says that he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. He does not stop. He's resolute. He appears to have crossed the Rubicon. He will do whatever it takes to find the sheep. And what happens when he ultimately finds it? Perhaps it's his dedication and resoluteness to find it that ultimately is the reason why he does. I don't know if you've ever lost something and you say, oh, I'm going to go look for it. Sort of half-hearted looking, right? By the way, while we were traipsing around the country, my wife left her MacBook at the hotel in Owasso, Oklahoma. There was a feeling of abject terror in my wife's heart as she longed for her precious MacBook. It wasn't the MacBook, it was what was on it, which is about 20,000 photos of our family. And so there was a sense of, we've got to find it. Well, lo and behold, the shepherd finds it, doesn't he? And what does he do? He lifts the sheep and puts it on his shoulders. Apparently, they're far away. And he goes home. And he throws a party. Now why would he do this? In fact, he throws a party. There's a sense that other people have to be a part of this. 
could have celebrated alone. But no, there was a sense of we have to celebrate, right? Much like when I found my child in Bush Gardens. A sense of something you celebrate when all is well. You know what the word shalom means? We've talked about it. It's more than peace. Shalom really, if you want to sum it up, is the way things should be. There's a rejoicing because it's not enough that there's 99 sheep, is there? There has to be a hundred. And when the hundred comes, now things are restored to the way that things should be. Let's celebrate. And so Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Now these 99, we're not sure if he's speaking tongue-in-cheek about these people who think they're righteous, but they're not. Perhaps he's talking about the 99 that have already come in. There's already been rejoicing for them, but there's still another to come in. There's a specificity to it. There's a name to that sheep. Did Jesus not say, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus prayed to God and said, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. There's a name behind every lost sheep. There's a wrongness to life until they are brought into the fold. Until there is shalom. Until all is well. God is a seeking God. And God is a restless God. Jesus said in John 10 when he about, spoke about being the good shepherd that I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. In the picture of the lost sheep and in the lost coin, we see a God who is discontented, who is restless, who is seeking, who refuses to quit until everyone is brought into his fold, those who his Father has given him. What does this mean for us? In some ways you can think of us, if you are a Christian, as the 99, as the one that God has brought into the fold, so to speak. But God is not content with simply the 99, is He? I think sometimes we can think about church and we can think about our Christianity as our desire to try to create heaven on earth. That all is well. But we can't have shalom here until all have been gathered. And so my question for you is simply this. God is restless. 
Are you? Is there a restlessness in your heart? A sense that all is not well. For my heavenly Father continues to seek. When Jesus looked upon the crowds, he had compassion for them. For they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. God is a seeking God. His eyes are constantly scanning the horizon. And if we want to experience the heart of the Lord, we must have His eyes and His heart. See, the world is saying, unless you change and come to me, I'm not coming to you. For the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our God is a sending God. He's a going God because He's a restless God. You can think of the Christian life as two things, rejoicing and seeking. We're a church that comes together and rejoices because we were lost and we were found. We rejoice on Sunday. We gather in homes. But we seek for the Son of Man still seeks. We are home and we are a mission. And until we understand this, until we receive discontentment in our heart and make peace with it, we'll never really understand God's heart and we'll never really understand this world. God is restless. Are we? Well, this brings me to my second point, which I will call, I have no idea. That's a joke, people. Really, I have no idea. I want to talk a little bit about the third story. The middle one is about the same as the first, right? Third one's a little bit different, right? Because it's about a son. And this son doesn't get lost. In fact, he tells his dad to get lost. Father, give me my share of the estate. Now think of the implications of this if you were to do this to your father, right? I want what's coming to me. Essentially what you're saying is, God, I, I, is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I really don't want you in my life anymore. What I want is your stuff. Now why would the son do this? I mean, we have a sense of the character of the father, right? The son is essentially saying, look, I know better. I want to call the shots in my own life. I don't want you over me. Really astounded by the response of the father, by the way. I would think that the response of a father would be to do exactly to the son what the son did to the father. Disown him, right? I want what's coming to you. Nothing's coming to you. I disown you. But it shows his character that he did what the son asked. See, essentially, to do what the son asked is to say to the son, you are still my son, even though you don't want to be my father. The father is claiming and asserting the sonship and his fatherhood of this son, this rebellious son. And so the father gets to work dividing his estate. Now think a little bit about this. You know, back in that day, the way that their assets were held were 
not on the stock exchange, right? They didn't have stocks. They had flocks. So what he had to do was literally start selling his assets. Start sort of culling the herd. All that he had worked for. Selling, 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 selling. And giving to the son. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The son said, I'm in control and no one's going to tell me how to live. And promptly did a horrible job of controlling his own life. Because he really had no idea how to watch over himself. He was like me at Six Flags over Texas. He was fooling himself. And so he squandered it all away. But after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. As things invariably do, things went south. There's good and there's bad. But he was not prepared for the bad. So he tried to rescue himself, right? I can figure my way out of this. So he went and hired himself out. I can go get a job. I can be employed. It's like we've lost that term, gainfully employed, right? This is the ultimate anti-example of gainfully employed. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to even eat the pods, but no one gave him anything. Well, what the heck is he working for? Right? I mean, isn't he supposed to get a wage? No, he's been swindled even out of his employment. And he finds himself working as a pig farmer. Now, no good Jewish boy is going to be a pig farmer. Right? Not very kosher. See, when the son lost the father, ultimately he lost himself. Well, he hit rock bottom. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I said before, I really think there are only two reasons that people change in the end. Desire and disgust. Disgust works simply like this. They look in the mirror and they look at their life and themselves and they said, I can't live like this anymore. Disgust. That certainly was in the equation here. But there was a sense of desire as well, wasn't there? How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? Even my father's hired men have food to spare. He remembered his father. He remembered the sort of employer that he was. His character. And it awoke in him a desire. He remembered his father. And ultimately, he remembered himself. Or tried to anyways. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. See, he knew he'd lost the right to be a son. But he could be maybe less than a son. But whatever he was under his father was going to be better than how he was now. Because he remembered that when my father is in charge, all is right. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, filled with compassion for him. 
How did the father see him? It's very clear if you're a father or mother, you would understand. You're looking. See, the father, in order to retain him as a son, had to let him go. You can't make someone your son. You can't make someone your daughter. If he had any chance of him ultimately being his son, again, he had to let him go. But he was always scanning the horizon. All was not well with the father's heart until that day. And it says that when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. Remember compassion, which literally means with suffering. He saw the son stumbling down the road, ragged clothes, not even any shoes on his feet. And he was filled with compassion. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. This was not the expected response that the son was looking for, right? He was flummoxed. He had rehearsed his speech, right? He, he had to get it out. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, you get the sense, interrupts him, cuts him off. Quick, he says to the servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Well, the best robe belongs to the father, doesn't it? Put a ring on his finger. Not just any ring, you see. The ring he would be referring to is the family ring. Some of you wear them, right? The initial, this is who I belong to. Bring the family ring and put it on him. Put sandals on his feet. Restore his dignity. He gives him this robe and this, this ring and these sandals. The son never expected this. Never in his wildest dreams. I mean, nobody, nobody... Nobody does this. And I think in that instance, he saw the character of his father. All became clear. Father never gave up. He had to let him go. But we had to celebrate, says the son. Says the father, for my son was dead and alive. He's lost and is found. This story is the story of a father and a son. But it's ultimately the story of God and you. All of us are living this story. The scriptures say that we all have sinned and turned away. Each has gone in his own way. We've all walked away from the father. You ever wonder why the world is so screwed up? It ain't gun control, my friends. Okay? It ain't poverty. It ain't all this stuff. The problem with the world is each one of us wants to be God. And it just doesn't work right. Your life, I don't know where you're at in this story. Maybe you're at that front end. I got this. I'm in control of my destiny. 
Nobody tells me how to live. And things are going pretty good. But you know, the older you get, you start to discover that I'm not in charge. Maybe you have a lot of failure in your life. It's obvious. I think one of the more dangerous things is success. But ultimately, if you're successful enough, you will come to the point where you realize that it's an illusion and a mirage. Remember Adam Sandler, who at one time was a waiter and wrote out a check for $20 million? Put it in his pocket and he said, one day, somebody's going to pay me $20 million to star in a movie. Guy was waiting tables in Hollywood. Well, sure enough, one day, somebody paid him $20 million. Sandler was quoted as saying, I hope everyone gets the opportunity to have every desire of their life fulfilled, every goal accomplished, every hope that they have to come true so they will know that it's not enough. Life is a test. Life is a trust. And life is a temporary assignment. The test is simply this. Who am I? But I want to suggest to you that you can never answer that question until you answer a deeper question. Whose am I? This world is lying to you when it talks about what freedom is. Because this world says true freedom is being able to do anything I want to do. Tell that to a fish after you pull it out of an aquarium. No, true freedom is not being able to do anything I want to do. It's living in harmony with who I was meant to be. And you will never find freedom until you surrender yourself to the rule of your Heavenly Father. I figured this out when I was 18, at least enough to walk in this path, and my father and mother and the rest of my family thought I was the crazy one. I was the black sheep, maybe, who'd gone off the reservation. But you know, what was very interesting was slowly people in my family became convinced that Christ was Lord. They got to the end of themselves and to the beginning of Him. And so my sister came to faith and my mom came to faith. And so they used to take my dad to church. My dad hated religion. Frankly, I do too. This might come as a surprise as I'm wearing this robe. But Zeke hated religion and he was right. Because what religion ultimately says is once you have your acts together, then you can come into the presence of God. But we see it's quite the opposite, isn't it? It's really when you get to the end of yourself. When you don't have any shoes anymore. When you come stumbling up the road. In fact, you can't come to the Father until you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt. And so my kind father, in spite of himself, crossing his hands at the music, slowly and imperceptibly heard the message of the Heavenly Father, who was gracious and kind. 
and almost in spite of himself, found himself praising God. I don't really know when my father spiritually came home. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't walking down the aisle. But at some point, he simply bowed his head and said quietly and privately to his heavenly father, I'm yours. I watched my father die. I watched as his mind went. I watched as his strength left. In the end, that night, he was just an old man and his bed sheet. For we take nothing into the world, bring it into the world, and we take nothing out. But you know, as I saw my father's face, as the hospice people made him comfortable, I never saw him more peaceful. I never saw him more at peace with himself. It was like he had the sense that it was time to go home. And it was well with his soul. Life is a test and life is a trust. And life is a temporary assignment. All of us are terminal. All of us at one day or another will come home. So the question is, have you? You may be lost. But are you found? I told you that there was three stories and one was different than the other. In the first story, one goes to seek the sheep and find, right? The second one, one goes and finds the coin, right? Seek and find. The third story, where's the seeker? There's no seeker, is there? The son comes home. Remember, Jesus told this story to the Pharisees, right? They're all upset. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. See, the way things should have been, and the Pharisees understood this, in that culture, who would have been the one to go find the wayward son and bring him home? The elder son. It was his responsibility to go. To go and find and bring him. Much like the seeker had with the coin or the sheep. But this elder son is angry. You squandered your money with prostitutes. In fact, we don't even know if the elder son even went into the party. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's saying this was your job. And so what he's really saying is, I am the elder son. I am the one that my heavenly father has sent. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is all about the elder son, Jesus Christ. How do I come home? 
I don't know the way. And frankly, I wouldn't have the courage. But there in the distance, coming uncomfortably close, incredibly loud, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Jesus declared, I am the older son. And I will come. And I will find. And I will put on my shoulders. And I will bring. And we will celebrate together. How great is salvation that God would do such a thing. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, who will give up his life You may be lost, but have you come home? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. People sometimes say to me, Pastor, how could a loving God send people to hell? I say, oh, you're quite wrong. Jesus doesn't send anyone to hell. Hell is the ultimate freedom. Hell is ultimately God saying to the wayward son, have it your way can't make you love him. My hope for you is the hope I had for my dad and got to see lived out in his face as he passed into glory. Life is a test. Life is a trust. Life is a temporary assignment. The gift of God is a robe of righteousness. The name of a child of God. An inheritance spotless kept in heaven for you and me. Let us rejoice for everyone that comes. And let us be part of his mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And until the last trumpet call... We are on pilgrimage. But one day, I will enter into the banquet. And there will be my father and my oldest son. And I sure hope you. And we'll celebrate. Let's pray. Not only did you love us, but you sent your son to find us. But I pray that if there are any who is lost, that they would be found. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.